you get started, let's stand and let's pray and uh, ask the Lord first and foremost to be uh, in this um, session or study or study session or whatever you want to call it, Bible study with us. And, um, and if you have a need tonight, uh, you can signify that by the lifting of your hands. And uh, we know that the Lord will answer our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this time that you've given us tonight. We ask that your blessings will flow in this place and online, those that are watching uh, via our webcast tonight. We pray that your healing powers will flow to those that need healing, those that need salvation. They will feel that conviction on their heart tonight to turn to you, for you are our Savior. Those that need deliverance from whatever it is in their life that they're struggling with, we know that you can break chains and you can set us free. We ask for you to do it tonight in the name of Jesus. We ask that you would be in this study tonight, be in the Word. You are the Word. And we ask that you would be with us tonight. Let your anointing flow. Let it fall in this place. Let it fall on the ears of those that are watching on live stream. We pray that you'd open our hearts to hear your Word, open our eyes to see your Word, our minds to think it, and our hearts to receive it. We give you all the praise tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. What a, uh, what a great week we're having. Um, if you're not having a great week, I pray from here it will get better. Uh, I declare it will get better. Um, but what a great Sunday we had this past week. Um, just a house full of young people. That felt good. That felt really good um, to have all those young people here with us and uh, the word that, um, that Brother Jordan Hopper brought, uh, my brother, um, Jordan Hopper, I pr appreciate that word that he gave us. I was inspired by that word and, uh, and the music. Everything was just so great about this past week. And, uh, and now we move forward and we are getting back into our series tonight of redigging the wells of salvation. And uh, last week we talked about the Apostles' Doctrine. The Apostles' Doctrine. And you'll find that in these lessons I'm going to open up kind of with the first few minutes of what we covered the week before. Um, and also, I'm not going to be reviewing very long, but just kind of let you know where we're at. And, uh, and tonight's a very important lesson. Um, and I'm looking forward to getting into it. But what is redigging the wells? Why are we redigging wells? Well, the Bible says in Genesis uh, chapter 26 that Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year a hundredfold. Or the Living Bible says that year Isaac's crops were tremendous. 100 times the grain he sowed for Jehovah blessed him. The next verse says, He was soon a man of great wealth and became richer and richer. He had large flocks of sheep and goats and great herds of cattle and many servants. And the Philistines became, or the Philistines became jealous of him, of Isaac. So they filled up the wells with earth. They filled up the wells with dirt, with rubbish, whatever they could find, all those that were dug by the servants of his father, Abraham. And King Abimelech asked Isaac to leave the country, go somewhere else, he said, for you have become too rich and powerful for us. So Isaac moved to, Ger to, Gerar, to the Gerar Valley and lived there instead. And Isaac redug the wells of his father Abraham, the ones the Philistines had filled after his father's death, and gave them the same names they had before when his father had named them. Now Isaac was very careful 
to not only redig the wells, but he was careful to make sure that he knew the names of those wells and call them the same names that his father had called them. He didn't rename the, well, the wells. He didn't, uh, he, he didn't just clean up the wells. He didn't just clean them out, but he called them the same name that his father called them. And so don't think it's strange when we begin to study and we begin to dig and we begin to reopen all of these wells, some things that we are reopening in our church over the next few weeks, we're going to redig wells that they've always been here, but just for one reason or another, they've just gotten a little stopped up. They've gotten a little clogged up a little bit. And uh, sometimes, you know, you have your sink water and you turn on that sink and, or that faucet and it's just a little cloudy or maybe it's a little slow dripping. What do you do? You, you take off that little end of the, of the faucet, right? Sometimes there's some gunk in there. You got to clean it out. We're just cleaning some stuff out. We're cleaning some wells out. And, uh, and, and you got to know what you believe. you got to know what you believe, and you've got to know why you believe it. People will say that doctrine divides. Well, I'm not going to disagree with you. Doctrine does divide. Last week we talked about the apostles' doctrine. And, uh, and it wasn't called Jesus' doctrine. It wasn't called the Lord's doctrine. It was the apostles' doctrine. It's what the apostles preached in every city. It's what they went to every town preaching. It was the apostles' doctrine. So today we're going to reestablish some things. We're going to study why we believe what we believe. We're going to do this not only for ourselves, because some of us, we are secure in where we stand. We know everything there is to know about the Bible. We know everything there is to know about God. But for the rest of us in this room, like me included myself, you know, we have to reestablish some things and we have to refresh. Teachers don't just go to school one time and get certified to be a teacher, and that's all that they do the rest of their lives. Teachers have professional development. they got to keep going back and learning and learning and learning. We as Christians, we can't just get the Holy Ghost and get baptized, or we can't just come into church and try to live right, and that be it. The Bible says we have to study to show ourselves approved. So we're going to continue to study tonight. So some of these you may know. Some of these other people may not know. But we are going to secure for ourselves what we know and what we believe, that way, the next generation that is following us can be secure and know what they believe. We've got to make sure that our next generation understands what we are teaching is of the Bible. What we are teaching is the Word of God, not the Word of Austin. It's not the Word of David Helmuth. It's not the Word of Casey Helmuth. It's not the Word of David Bernard. It's not the Word of Austin and Stephanie Hopper. It's the Word of God. This is what we are teaching. It's not a philosophy of a man. It's not the philosophy of an organization. But the doctrine that we are teaching is the doctrine of the Word of God. Now everybody say sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. This is what the apostles preached was sound doctrine. We talked about this last week. And if you missed last week, I encourage you to go watch it. If you don't want to go watch it or you don't have the means to, I will give you my notes. You can read up on it. Um, but we are talking about sound doctrine. Now, I'm going to be jumping around Scripture a lot tonight. Brother Aaron, I apologize in advance. I gave him my Scriptures right before church. So bear with Brother Aaron. Bear with me tonight. But we're going to start in 1 Timothy 3 and 16. 1 Timothy 3 and 16. And the Bible says, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, 
justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Great is the mystery. Mystery in biblical thought means something that has formerly been hidden. Something that is formerly hidden that is now revealed which people cannot understand except by a divine revelation. It is something that people can never know by their own understanding. And it demands a revelation from God. Now Matthew 6 and 17, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. But my Father, the eternal Spirit, the eternal Spirit, whose throne is in heaven, gave that revelation. Now, if we go back to 1 Timothy 3 and 16, now stay with me tonight, okay? If you get lost, we'll try to help you find your way back to us, but stay with me, okay? Back to 1 Timothy 3 and 16. We just read, it was a writing from a God-called, a God-ordained, anointed man called Paul. He also wrote to the church at Colossae. Colossians 2 and 6, all right? Just stay with me. We're going to tie all this together tonight, okay? We're going to tie it all together. Everybody going to stay with me tonight? Don't anybody go to sleep on me. Stay with me, all right? Colossians 2 and 6 through 10. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil, through, spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Now what this is saying here is don't let anybody, don't let anybody trick you through their own philosophy. Don't let anybody spoil you with something else. So he says, don't let them spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. This is really important right here, okay? Are you ready? Verse number 9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Anybody know what we're talking about tonight? What well we're going to redig? We're going to redig the well of one God. We're talking about one God tonight, okay? And, and I may not be too popular on Facebook and YouTube, but I'm going to be popular in an apostolic world, okay? This is what we're talking about. This is what we believe. Exodus 3 and 14. We're going now to the Old Testament. God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shall they say unto the children of Israel, I am have sent me unto you. So, everybody still with me? All right. Nobody said no, so we're going to keep going here. The Godhead is a subject that is never exhausted. It has been sharpened and discussed by many through centuries. But the Bible is very, very clear on the oneness of God. It doesn't teach any other. Trinity is not mentioned anywhere in the Bible. Dualship is not mentioned anywhere in the Bible. The oneness of God, it does not teach any other than the oneness of God. To those of you that, uh, that are visiting online with us, or maybe you're new and you're watching online, 
Um, you may hear, or you may hear tonight, you may have heard that we are Jesus' only people. We only believe in Jesus. We are not Jesus only. We don't believe in only Jesus. We do not deny the Father. We do not deny the Holy Ghost. We believe in one God that was manifested in three different manifestations. A plural, a, a plural of persons in the Godhead, which it makes up the Trinity, is made up by a human mind. The Trinity was made up by a human person trying to explain what we are going to talk about tonight. Because they couldn't wrap their head around it. Ladies and gentlemen, we're not meant to understand everything in this word. We're not meant to understand all the workings of God. If we did, then we would be God. We are not meant to understand everything that God does. If somebody can explain to you and say all this stuff here, and they say, well, this is the Trinity, this is this and this, the Godhead is this, it's not a revelation from God. A revelation from God is straight from Him, and God's not going to confuse you with what, he, it, what, with what is in His Word. In the text, I am, it shows forth a singular meaning. I am what I will be. I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. The very substance of God is spiritual. When Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, now, I'm going to blow some minds tonight, okay? Are you ready? Don't everybody get up and leave. Don't everybody get up and start throwing fruit at me or vegetables at me, okay? The King James Bible is not the most accurate Bible that there is. Okay, that's about the expression that I thought I was going to get tonight. The King James Bible is not the most accurate. If you want to get to the most accurate translation of the Bible, you got to learn Hebrew or you got to learn Greek. Let me tell you what the Bible says in the King James. In John chapter, I believe it's John chapter 4, verse 24. The King James Version says, God is a spirit. The Hebrew translation, the original, what was transcribed off of the Dead Sea Scrolls, says Theos Numea, which translated means God is spirit. God is spirit, indicating two points. Number one, that God is not flesh and that there is but one. That's why he can come to Ephesians 4 and 4 and say, there is one body and one spirit. We don't deny the Father. We don't deny the Son. We don't deny the Holy Ghost. But we do deny that they are three separate persons. Okay? Do we, are, we all, are we all together? We all in the same? We're not, and nobody's in the caboose, right? We're all on, on the passenger side of the train. We're all good? We firmly declare... There is only one person, and his name is Jesus, and he dwells all the fullness. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. If I don't preach Bible tonight, somebody call my hand, okay? Brother Runkle, you're closest to me. If I don't preach Bible, feel free to stand up and come and take away the microphone. 
And if you don't believe it, text Brother Runkle. He'll come take the microphone. If I don't preach Bible in this church, you come take my hand or you come call me on it. But God in three persons is not found in Scripture. There are only two places in the Bible where person, persons, or personality are mentioned as pertaining to the Godhead. 1 Corinthians 2 and 10 where Paul said he forgave in the person of Christ. Hebrews 1 and 3 is the second place is Christ was the express image of God's person. The only person or personality of God or the Godhead is seen in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ reflects the glory of God and bears, he bears the very stamp of his nature. A person, by all definition, is a human being. An individual man, a woman, or a child. Personality is the quality or the fact of being a person or a particular person or personal identity. That's from Mr. Webster and his dictionary. Now, if you can find for me in the Godhead three distinct persons that have a human being that is an individual man, woman, or child that has a distinct personality or a personal identity linked to being a man, woman, or child, then you will convince me that I am wrong in everything I've ever been taught and everything I've ever learned for myself. But in all the Godhead where you see there are three, you're only going to find one person. And that have a personality and that had a body, and his name was Jesus. God is a spirit. God is spirit. He can't be a person because God is not flesh. Are we all understanding? Okay. We'll, we'll dive in a little bit more. God is a spirit. You can't see him. You wouldn't have been able to have seen God if you couldn't have been able to see him through a person. And so Christ is the only person that can be seen in the manifestation of God. And I'm giving you Bible with everything I say tonight. Take your Bible and disprove me if you want. But make sure you do it with the Bible. If you're going to come punch me, make sure the Bible's in your hand. John 14 and 8 and 9. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father. And it, suffice, it sufficeth us. Philip said, hey, show, show us the Father and we'll be good. But Jesus said unto him, have I been so long time with you? Have I been with you such a long time and you, has not, you have not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? What Jesus was saying to Philip, Philip, have I been with you too long that you don't realize that when you see me, you see the Father? I and my Father are one. So how do you say then, Philip, show me the Father? Listen, I have a soul, I've got a spirit. And when I die and y'all roll me up here in front of this church and my soul is, I hope, with the Lord, my body is still going to be here. When God came to this earth, he housed himself, or the Bible says he robed himself in flesh. Jesus Christ housed God. The body of Jesus housed the Spirit of God, which made him the Almighty God. I can't make it any plainer, but I'm going to try to, okay? 1 Corinthians 1 and 24, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, the meaning of, of a word here, dunamis, it comes from Acts 1 and, 1 and 8. But ye shall receive power. We all know Acts 1 and 8, right? Ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto both 
in Jer- unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. When God appeared, now this is New Testament, when God appeared to Abraham, Old Testament, he said to Abraham, I am the almighty God, I walk before thee and be thou a perfect God. He told Abraham, he said, I am the almighty and I am perfect. He said that to Abraham before the flesh was ever given in the New Testament. God told that to Abraham. In the Old Testament, he said, I am the Almighty God. And we have a reflection to the great I am, the I am to to who I will be. He said, I am the Almighty God, and I am still declaring that there is only one. Then you go to the book of Revelation. He said the same thing to John when he was on the Isle of Patmos. 1 and 8 of Revelation, he said, I am Alpha and Omega, beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come the Almighty. Are we starting to see, are we starting to connect the dots here? We getting ready to color in that picture? You're seeing where it's coming, right? So how many Almighty Gods can we have? We have one in the Old Testament who's saying, hey, I'm the Almighty. Now you have revelation in the New Testament. Jesus is saying, I'm the Almighty. How many Almighties can you have? There can only be one Almighty. If there were two, they would not be Almighty. If there were three, they would not be Almighty. You can only have one. That's why the God of the Old Testament became flesh and came to this earth, the Almighty. There's only one. And the verse shows the eternity of Christ not as the Son, but as God. Isaiah 9 and 6, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. How many of you believe that unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given? Every Christmas, every Christmas place you go, in every religion, they quote that verse. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. How many of you believe this verse is talking about Jesus? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We've been around church long enough, that's what we know that. The rest of that scripture says... Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. The Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. I know that we don't believe Jesus only. We believe Jesus everything because he's the Almighty. He's the Mighty God. The everlasting father. The son that is born is the everlasting father because the God of the Old Testament, which was his spirit, put on a robe, which was flesh, and came to this earth. In the Old Testament, he manifested himself as the father. Okay? This is where we get Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Now stay with me. In the Old Testament, God was the father. He was the spirit. He manifested himself as the father. In the Gospels, when Jesus is now born, and God then robed himself in flesh and came to live in the body of Jesus Christ, he is the Son. Acts through then revelation, he is the Holy Ghost. Whoa, everybody's looking at me like, yeah, we know this already. Did you know how to explain it that easy? That's the way to explain it. And we're digging the well. I mean, we still got a long way to go. We're digging deep tonight, okay? We also find the sonship is not any eternal position, and it did not come into being 
until the child was born. And unto us a son was given, and his name shall be called the mighty God, the Father of eternity, the Prince of peace, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, the King of all the earth. Luke 1 and 35, an angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost, this is an angel talking to Mary, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Then the angel appeared to Joseph. We can go to Matthew 1 and 20. He said, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Let's go back to Luke 1 and 35. Let's go back to Luke 1 and 35 if we can, Brother Aaron. That holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Back to Matthew 1 and 20. Take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost impregnated Mary. Trinitarians, I'm sorry, but you got a problem. I shouldn't be so mean. I'm sorry. If there's anybody watching tonight, forgive me. But there's a problem there. There's a problem in that philosophy. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. So if you've got three separate distinct persons, you've got one that's a father, and then you've got Jesus. I don't, I don't know what's happening to all of them. Because I've got two scriptures that confirm that the Holy Ghost fathered Jesus Christ. What you've got to understand is that there's three manifestations of one God. The Old Testament, he's God the Father, but he's a spirit. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he's flesh. He's the Son. And then Acts through Revelation, He's the Holy Ghost. But it's all one God, not three persons. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. If there's two separate ones, we have one in the Old Testament saying He's the Almighty. Now we have one in the New Testament saying He's the Almighty. We've got some almighties that's not the almighties because if there's an almighty, that means that there's none beside them. An almighty stands alone. King of the mountain stands alone. The almighty stands alone. And beside me, Jesus said this, beside me, there is no other God. There's not one before me. There's not one behind me, beside me, above me, below me. There's not but one God. We've got to read the Word, ladies and gentlemen. We have got to read Scripture. We've got to study to show ourselves approved. We've got to dig that well, and we've got to love it. Don't let man, don't let fables, don't let traditions. Who else? So, so who was, you could say this, well, if, if God was, was robed in flesh, and He was inside Jesus Christ, and the Spirit was inside Jesus Christ, when Jesus was on the cross, who did He pray to? Who did Jesus pray to on the cross? He was praying to the Spirit. It was the Son praying to the Father. The Father was the Spirit. Remember the Old Testament? God the Father, God was the Spirit. God is Spirit. We don't deny the Father-Son relationship. We just don't believe that they were persons. The Son was a person. Jesus Christ was a person. But the Father 
It's a spirit. We don't deny that he didn't pray in the Garden of Eden, or, or the Garden to the Father, not the Garden of Eden. We don't deny that he didn't pray in the Garden to the Father. We believe that. But it was flesh praying to spirit. We don't believe that it was Almighty praying to Almighty to Almighty. We believe that was flesh, that was humanity praying to divinity. It was his flesh that had been made in the womb of Mary that was crying out to that deity that was inside of him, the Almighty God. Ladies and gentlemen, we got to love this. You can love this church, you can love the music, you can love the people, you can love everything else, but it doesn't amount to a hill of beans because it's not about the music. It's not about who the pastor is. It's not about who, who's, who's here and who's not here. It's about Jesus Christ. On the deity of Jesus Christ stands everything. It's the foundation that rests the whole structure of sound Christianity. So we're digging these wells. You look at Pilate. When they went to crucify Jesus Christ, Pilate found no fault in Christ. Napoleon called him the emperor of love. Well, that would be a cool name to have. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome tonight, one night only, the emperor of love. Am I, am I the only one? Sorry, it's late. I've been up for a long time. I'm just trying to keep somebody awake. Maybe it's myself. I don't know. The philosopher Joseph Ernest Renan said, All the ages will proclaim that among the sons of men, there is none born who is greater than Jesus. See, these men applauded him, but they didn't love him and worship him. You want to know why? Because they didn't know who he was. They didn't know who he was. Though these statements of worldly greatness, their high-sounding content, and, meaning, and they fall short, though, of an actual identification. We cannot be deceived by, by man's platitudes, even while they praise God. They plunder his person, and they rob him of his deity. Jesus is not J.J. He's not Jesus Jr. Jesus is not just a member of the board of directors of heaven. He's not just the CEO filling a position. Jesus is the almighty God. He is the all-knowing, all-loving God. He said in Matthew 28 and 19, well, before he gave us the commandment for baptism, he said in 28 and 18, he spoke to them saying, all power. Go ye therefore teach all nations, baptizing them. Yeah, there we go. Let's go to 18. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me. He's talking about himself. Now listen, that's bold right there. If you walked into this church and you said, <clears throat> Excuse me, I need the microphone. All power is given unto me under heaven and earth. We're going to think you're crazy. I'm going to say, <laughs> Sit down and listen up today. Listen to the word today. Get somewhere and sit down. But Jesus tells them. Go back to, let's see, here we go. Yeah. Uh, go back to 18 there, brother, brother Aaron. He came to them. He said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Everybody knows what all means, right? All. How many of you have had, had kids sometimes that they're like, you do this all the time. You say that all the time. You never let me. Never and all are very popular words in our house. You get all the stuff. She gets everything all the time. I never get him. 
That's very, anybody know what I'm talking about? All is a powerful word. He said, all power is in me. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. If, this is, this is going to preach right here. If God the Father is a person up in heaven, and Jesus just done taking away the power from God, and he says, all power in earth is mine. Okay, we understand that. But then he said, wait, no, all power in heaven is his too? Well, what just happened there? That just proved that Jesus was the Almighty. And that God is a spirit. God has robed himself in flesh in Jesus Christ. You've got three. If you've got three, two of them now doesn't have power because Jesus said, I have all power. Some of y'all are going to go home and think about some of this almighty business. You're going to go home and be thinking about almighty. God said his name is Emmanuel, being God with us. He's God in Christ. He's the Father in the Son. He's deity in a baby. It means God is with us. You know, there's nowhere in the Bible where it refers to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, and it says God's. Now it does say God's, but it says, Thou shalt worship no other gods before me. Thou shalt not serve any other gods. Remember that part? That's the only place that you'll ever see God's. God's, plural. When it refers to the Almighty, it is singular. Singular, God with us. So I wonder who dares to gain and say that the scripture, say this scripture by minimizing God and lowering him to the imagination of a man. John described the divine person revealed to him in the beginning, and the ending was Jesus saw him, and he gives a priority and a finality. John's revelation swelled in bounds. And it ran over with truth and with enthusiasm when he called the one which he saw. He said, you are the Almighty God. That was Revelation 1 and 8. You are the Almighty God. He said, I see you. Your hair is white. You are the Almighty God. The opening verse to the first chapter of Revelation and the writing says, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice who gave that to John. The revelation of Jesus Christ. He got the revelation of Jesus Christ. When John was standing on the Isle of Patmos, I believe it. I believe it that God saw, or John saw, what we're going through right now. John saw planes flying. John saw stuff happening right now in Europe. John saw famine. And John saw all of this stuff that's going on in our world. He saw all this because he wrote it down. I mean, every day it's like you can go to the book of Revelation and make a check mark. Oh, that just happened today. That just happened today. That just ha And ladies and gentlemen, we're getting close to the end. We better get right. We better get ready. We better get this church filled. It, we're not filling this church to be a popular place. We're filling this church because people need to hear the word of the Lord. We're not trying to, to, to bring people in on padded pews to pad the pockets of the church. That, God will take care of that. God will take care of that. But we're trying to bring people in, souls that are lost, souls that are hungry. We are trying to bring them into a place where they can find peace, where they can find love, where they can experience the power of the almighty God in heaven and in earth. 
He said, when I saw him in verse 17 and 18, John wrote in chapter 1, he said, when I saw him, he said, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, fear not. Okay, this is where it gets good, y'all. He said, I am the first. Let's go back to Genesis. I am the first. I am God. I am the last. I am Jesus Christ. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. Listen, there is no scholar, determined as they might be, there is no scholar that can deny the truth that comes screaming through the ages. This person who was first and last, who was dead but now lives, who was the Alpha and was the Omega, he's the holder of the keys of death, hell and the grave, Jesus Christ, they will not deny that. They cannot deny that. He is not only the theme of the first chapter of Revelation, he is the central theme of the entire Bible. And notice how John ascribed this dominion to him. He called him the Almighty, which is present, which was past, and which is to be the future. In all instances, this Jesus Christ is the superior force, the Almighty, the omnipotent God. Who is it that dares to try to call Jesus a junior? I've had friends that they were juniors, and when I said, hey, junior, most of them don't care, but there's some of them, that's fighting words. Hey, junior, don't you dare call me junior. Well, why not? Because I'm nothing like my father. Oh, really? Okay, I'm sorry, there's some issues there. We should talk about that. We should work through that. Most of the time, though, they don't like it because junior refers to a stature, right? Now, we got a couple big fellows in our church who both happen to have the same name. Both close to the same height. So when we say Big Eric and Little Eric, there's really not a whole lot of difference other than we're talking about their age. But I remember I called, I called Little Eric Jr. one day, and he goes, I ain't a junior. And I didn't know how to take that because I'm like, he's bigger than me. I don't want to really upset him because, you know, with probably just a flick on my nose, he probably put me on the ground. I don't know. But there was something there. So I was like, all right, E, I'll call you E. I'll call your dad Brother Eric. I'll call you just Eric. I don't know. They figure that out. But sometimes when we are called Junior, slow down, Junior. Calm down there, Junior. What does that do? It's offensive to us because that refers to our stature. And those are fighting words, man. Don't you call me Junior. So who are we to call Jesus Junior? God the Father, Jesus Junior. No, 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 no. He is the Almighty. And if that sets me apart in this city or in church Christianity, I'm going to my grave believing that Jesus is the Almighty God. And I'm telling you, if, if, you, if you're not on the train, the Jesus train with me of, hey, one God, one God apostolic, tongue-talking, holy roller, born-again, heaven-bound believer, liberated in the power of Jesus' name, this may be not be the train for you because this train's bound for glory. That wasn't even in my notes. That was for free. Throw a couple of old songs in there for some of y'all. But we are going to the grave. This is a hill I'll die on believing that we serve one God. Who is in all. Who is through all. Colossians 2 and 8. We go back to one of our opening verses tonight. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy 
and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him. I could just end right there and send you home happy tonight, hopefully. You're complete in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we, we get into these predicaments in our lives where, where we lose somebody or we lose something and we feel like there's a void there. We feel like there's a hole there. Whether it's, it's we've lost a loved one or whether we've had a breakup in a marriage or a relationship or, or maybe we've had a, a, a hurt with a son or a daughter or, or, or a parent or a grandparent, whatever it may be, there's always something there that we say, there's just a void there, there's a hole there that I can't, I can't quite fill. If you'll turn to Jesus Christ, yes, you're going to feel that pain of that loss. But Jesus Christ says that you are complete in me. You are complete in Jesus Christ. There's a famous movie line out there. You complete me. I'm waiting for the day to somebody come up to the altar and start praying and go, God, you complete me. Nobody's ever said, at least I've never heard it, but we got to recognize that we are complete in him. Why? Because he is the head of all principality and power. 1 Timothy 3 and 16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God, not God's, God was manifest in the flesh. Okay, follow me here. This is your verse right here. Anybody that says there's three persons, this is your verse right here. God manifest in the flesh, Jesus Christ, justified in the spirit, the Holy Ghost, Seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and then received up into glory. The pressure is going to come because we baptize in Jesus' name. And because you believe one God who is manifested in three persons. 1 John 5 and 7. Alright, now this is where it can get confusing, but stay with me. For there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. But this unconfuses it. These three are one. There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the, the, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. It says they are one. And we learn in John 1 and 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. You skip down to 14, And the Word was made flesh, and it dwelt among us. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And the Word was made flesh. Jesus Christ was born. God became Jesus Christ, robed in flesh. And He dwelt among us. Which means the expression or the utterance of that thought was incarnated into the fleshly body of Jesus Christ. In Him are embodied all the treasures of divine wisdom and the collective thought of God. So let me set the record straight as what this pastor and this pastor's family and this pastor's home and this pastor's office, what we believe. I don't believe that when Jesus was in Jerusalem, that that was the only place that God was. If I believe that, I would violate the word of God because God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. 
He was on the throne. He was at the river of Jordan. He was wherever else in the world that he needed to be because God fills everything. We are complete in him. But on this earth, while he was here, he tabernacled. He brought himself into the flesh. And in Jesus, Christ was the expression of all that God is. It was the treasure of all God's divine wisdom. It was all of the collective thought of God. It was all of his thought process in Christ Jesus. I want you to understand this so you won't misunderstand us as apostolics or you won't misunderstand yourself as apostolics. There is a misconception that some think the only place that we think God could have been was in Jesus Christ. But all the fullness of the God had dwelt in him, but we wouldn't be so foolish to say that because if everything about God was there, then when he was in Jerusalem, he couldn't be anywhere else. But what was in that flesh was the expression. It was the divine wisdom. It was the thoughts. It's where God's tabernacle, it's while he, or where he tabernacled while he was on this earth. It was in the flesh, which is the Son of God. In fact, Paul, when he was writing to the church of Colossians, he said in first, uh, Colossians 1 and 15, Who is the image of the invisible God? The firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or whether they be dominions or whether they be principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Now understand, the Father, which is the eternal spirit, the Word, which is the divine collective thought of God, all the treasures of the wisdom and the knowledge of God that was made flesh in Christ Jesus, the knowledge of the Word, it was fully in him. It dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the invisible God, the Father, the eternal spirit. Well, how can, how can you believe that it's that easy, Pastor? Well, if you take some water, okay? I'm going to take some right now. But if you take water, how do you make it ice? How do you take water and make it sting? It's all the same substance. Water is water. Ice is water. Steam comes from water. But it can manifest itself. The water can manifest itself as three separate things. Water, ice, and steam. But it's still water. When you look at the power of the Almighty God, He has manifested Himself as the Father in creation, in Genesis, the Son in redemption, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and now the Holy Ghost acts to Revelation where He baptizes us with His Spirit. That's why John could say, and these three manifestations are one. The Word was made flesh, and we beheld the purpose, the will, and the expression of the Almighty God. That's why Paul, who had such revelation and understanding of, of the incarnation, that Almighty God robed himself in flesh, he said in Romans that he is the image or the body, the vehicle, the tabernacle of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. So if you're the older sibling in here, there you go. <laughs> I mean, he's in all of us, but you can throw that out if you have, you're an older sibling. You can throw that, hey, I was the firstborn. God dwells in me. Sorry. 
Romans 5 and 14, the Bible says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned at the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him who was to come. Adam was made in the figure of him that was to come. These three manifestations of one God is for, get this, okay? It's not for argument or for debate. Not to say that we are right and you're wrong, but the message of the mighty God in Christ was for the redemptive purpose of God towards Adam's fallen race. He had to take on a body and come here. And it wasn't a chicken father who sent his son because he was afraid to come and do it. One of the things that I love about my dad is that my dad would never ask me to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. Except for climb scaffolding. That was, hey, if, if, if you can do it, you just go ahead and do it. And I'd say, but, but would you do it? He goes, only if I absolutely really had to, but I don't want to. So you go ahead and do it. And I had no issue with it. I didn't mind it. I, I enjoyed doing it. But everything else, my father would not ask me to do something unless he was willing to do it himself. God didn't send his son because he was chicken to come down here and do it. It was the almighty God. He robed himself in flesh. And he came down here and he brought back what Adam stole from us. I don't know if Adam's going to be in heaven when we get there. But boy, if I remember what he did from reading the Bible, when I see Adam, he's got something coming. We were supposed to be living in paradise, y'all. We were supposed to be living a good life. And Adam messed it up for all of us. And all the, all the you know, all the strong men who, who just, well, it was Eve that ate of the fruit. It was Eve's fault. Yeah, but Adam gave in too. So, there you go. Thanks a lot, Adam. Thanks for stealing away our lives and giving us this world. But God said, I've got to go down there and I've got to give myself so that they don't have to die in their sin. And this is what the book says, 1 John 3 and 8. God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. He created a body that he might get inside of it as well so that he could come here and be victorious over all of his enemies and he could conquer every enemy. That's why you have flesh. That's why you have the Son of God. It was Almighty God robed himself in flesh coming down here to take care of business. I thank him for it. Now these three manifestations, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost are one for the redemptive purpose of of the human race. Now that puts an obligation on me that's more staggering than ever before, and that is soul winning. But that obligation is not just put on me. It's put on us as a church. We believe what we believe because we have a divine revelation that has been given to us for the purpose of joining, of linking up, of laboring together, of yoking with, and, and, and the redemptive purpose of God who has manifest himself in the flesh. This is why it's so important, ladies and gentlemen, that we join together as a church family, as a church body. We are the church body, not the church, 
you know, factory. That's not what we're here for, okay? We are the church body. Some of us are hands. Some of us are feet. Some of us are eyes. Some of us are mouths. Some of us are ears. We are the body of Christ. We have to work together. We have to love one another. We have to pray together. We have to uplift one another. We have to hurt with one another. We have to cry with one another. That's why it's so important that when we have church functions, we show up to be with one another. Our family nights, it's important. Show up to your family night, to our family nights. Why? We are edifying the body. We are lifting each other up. We are having a good time together. We're having joy together. We're having communion together. We are having time together. We feed off one another. We lift each other up. Too many times, though, and I'm going to preach about this in a couple weeks, so I don't want to get too much into it, but, but there's been too many times that we as a church have torn each other down because somebody's not living up to the standard that we're living up to. Boy, let's step out of that, Pastor. Let's get back to where we're at. Go there in a couple weeks. Or maybe it's three weeks, or maybe it's next week. I don't know. We'll see. When people need to show up, you'll never be surprised. You'll be surprised. But our purpose on this world is for soul winning. It's the redemptive purpose of God who manifests himself in the flesh. The Apostle Paul, though, does not stop there. He said that there are three manifestations on this earth which are one. And he has provided three that bear witness. Everybody say three. Now we know that there are three that bear record in heaven. Now he said that there are three that bear witness on earth. Not just one witness or two, but he said three witnesses on earth. The spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. Jesus Christ, the incarnate word, made flesh. That's why Jesus looked at Nicodemus in John 3 and he said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That's not a Pentecostal book, ladies and gentlemen. That is not uh, just something I'm telling you. That's not just historical, just sayings on and on and on. That is right out of the book of John. That's out of the word of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. You've got to be. You have to be who was saying that? Jesus said that to John. He said, or to Nicodemus. He said, you must be born again. Luke, and Luke 24 and 46. And he said unto them, this is Jesus. He said, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in that city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as to Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them. And he was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Remember the man that wrote the book of Luke. Anybody know who wrote the book of Luke? It's so simple. Luke. 
Luke wrote his own book. Luke wrote the book of Luke. Luke also wrote the book of Acts. Dr. Luke wrote the book of Acts. And so when you close the book of Luke and you open the book of Acts, it's the same writer. He had just written repentance and remission of sin. And now you look at the second treaty and he continued in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came unto them uh, a sound of heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of a fire. And it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This could be no small stir here. This was happening on the Feast of Pentecost when Jerusalem was filled with people from many nations to observe the feast. Peter preached his sermon that qualified the tongues. It qualified the demonstration. And he began to prophesy about Joel. And he began to talk about Joel's prophecy. And he began to preach the crucifixion of Christ. And you go from verse 5 all the way through Acts the second chapter. And when you get through explaining all, or, or when he got through explaining all this and laying it all down, he then went to 37. And now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And it stops there. Go back to 37, Brother Aaron. What shall we do? It doesn't go on to say, what shall we do to be saved? It says, what shall we do? And then Peter answered them, and he said unto them, Repent, every one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that is afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I'm glad tonight that I've repented. I'm glad that I've been baptized in Jesus' name. I'm thankful that I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. And God has filled me with the gift of speaking in tongues. God has given me that gift of speaking in tongues. And I am thankful for that. Hebrews 9 and 22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. It's very important because this tells you something. It says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There is no forgiveness of sin. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the blotting out, for the doing away with, for the remission of sin. The three witnesses, the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit living inside of you, the water being baptized in His name, and the blood. These three witnesses in earth agree on one being born again. All three witnesses to a new birth. These three agree with God's purpose to a creature as a redeemed people. With these three witnesses, blood, water, and the word. These, we are more than conquerors through these. Amen? Any questions? Great. We can discuss this further. Not right now because we're wrapping our time tonight. Um, I'll talk to you right after, Sister Con. Or did you have... You just want to say something? Go ahead.